Hello and welcome to this episode of the Midnight Narwhal Podcast. Uh, I forgot what episode this is, but I know we're in season four. So whatever episode number this is, is whatever number number this is. 75. Normally this is an Andy problem, but... Uh, I don't see yeah. it as a problem. I see it as a non-factor. Ah, well, I mean, I, I'm surprised we have seasons. When we started this a few years ago, I didn't think we would ever have seasons of this. So, um, I'll be honest, I don't yeah. think of us as having seasons either. But, you know, we do, and that's do. fine. Yeah. I'm not I'm not opposed to it. Just don't expect me to keep up with it, because I'm not going to. My brain yeah. doesn't work that way. That's okay. So, well, uh, my name's James. I'm, Hi, James. One, I'm one of the hosts of today's episode. Also... All of the other episodes. Yeah, yeah, the other ones too. But I mean, literally yeah. every single one of them has you in it. That's true, and it has you in it. Actually, J.K. There, well, every episode, but everything we have actually have out there. There is one that's, that's just, just me. Yep, that was a, recorded about a year ago, I think, because I yeah, because well, yeah, you just like, had a, you just had a, had the baby. I had my baby, who is now one, and it's freaking me out. Oh, just I'm wait. Like, I know, I know. Well, my name's Andy. And uh, I'm just happy to be here. Man, I'm happy to be here as well. Driven hundreds of miles to be here today, quite literally. That is true. That is very true. The last couple of episodes. Uh, yeah, the last episode, yeah. the exact same thing. Yeah. Drove hundreds of miles, got out of the car, and sat in front of a microphone. Man. That's dedication. That is dedication. That is that is high dedication. I'm not in my closet this episode too, which makes me happy. I don't have to sit like hunched back and and have a like feel like lurch the next day. So I'm yeah. There is pleased. that whole thing where the last few episodes, when you've been in the closet recording, you progressively look more and more uncomfortable as the episode goes on. Because I and am. there have been times I'm going, <laughs> I don't know if we're gonna complete this. He <laughs> might just die before we're done. So it's bad. It, it yeah, it's bad. So, but no, I have I have my spare bedroom all to myself again. So hooray! Hooray! Kick out the interlopers. Yep. Get on out of here. Don't want you, man. Well, I'm very excited about this episode. I found out about this person that we're gonna be discussing uh, literally yesterday, and we've talked and joked about in the past that like one day one of us is gonna come up with a uh, come up with a topic or a story or something and it's going to be something that the other one of us was already planning on on doing a, an episode on yeah i don't remember us ever talking about that before and maybe not i'm maybe fairly not. certain you you're making this all up in your head at okay. this exact moment in time okay i mean i've been known to do that before but and maybe it never maybe that was never a conversation that actually made it in an episode but it is one that we've had trust me i'm the one with the good memory of the two of us this so. is true I've never actually felt like like any story I brought to the table was going to be that one thing. If anything, I figured you would be the one to do it to me. I've considered purposely trying to do things that might greatly interest you. Yeah. Just to see if I could take something off the table that you have been working <laughs> on. This one today is like it, it feels like one that that it could be on your on your future to-do list so all right um you just let me know when i, I will when as we dive in but jumping right in with the sources the ever trustworthy wikipedia it's cute that you consider it trustworthy uh-huh i mean there were a lot of edits on the, on this one actually <laughs> yeah. um which meant i actually had to use the other sources a lot more uh to like make sure that things were lining up so yeah wikipedia history.com which i know we've used before mm -hmm. npr.org i believe yeah uh, we've used, that, used before. that before a bunch of youtube videos a podcast called citation needed which is a really funny funny okay. podcast and uh mi5.gov.uk interesting yeah so um i don't think we've ever had to use the mi5 website before Nope. Also didn't know they had a website. Thought that was really like it felt very odd. It'd be like, I mean, I mean I'm sure you think you know, CIA.gov is not a. I mean, I'm sure website. the CIA.gov is a functioning website. FBI.gov. Please pause is, for just so, one moment. Oh, just as you look it up, as you look it up. Um, yep, CIA.gov. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's see what it. Let's see what it does. We are the nation's first line of defense. 
Mm. We accomplish what others cannot accomplish and go where others cannot go, like into your home devices. Appreciate that that little bit of uh, propaganda. Thank you. They didn't say that last part. That was oh, that maybe. was that was added. That was like added. they're they're not yeah. gonna fess up. Be like, yeah, we're listening to everything you say through your Alexas <laughs> and yeah. through your little robot vacuums. So, I guess we could add them to our listener list. You know, I mean, so we can add that's an ad, one yeah. per that episode is, for sure. <laughs> so, thanks, Kevin. Thanks. Yeah, that's a good name for our for our CIA operative. Yeah, Email are, us, Kevin. Yeah, do it. You won't. You won't. Ding. Oh, no. <laughs> that would be, <laughs> that would be I would, terrifying. I would, I would, I would, I would hit end record right stay, now. I'm stay, done. Stay. Done forever. Nope. Yep. This was fun. <laughs> so, oh, man. Well, uh, those are my sources. Let's All right. jump into the story. Let's do it. Juan Puol Garcia was born in Barcelona in 1912. I'll hold while you check your list to see if his name is on it. Yes! Yes! Yep, you got it. Yes! You got it. Oh, that makes you me got so it. happy. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so now I'm slightly bummed, though, because you kind of know the story. Well I, but... can't, well, I barely know the story. Okay. So I don't know that much about him. Okay. But I know over... Dumb. Got it. I am... <laughs> and generally, this is one, like, he's in my ne- next... Next four or five. Uh, like, I, I've, I mean, I've got a bunch of stuff on my huge list here where I'm not going to do them, but they're just there in case I, like, whatever. I can't think of something better. Uh-huh. But he, he was at the top of the list for a reason. He was, like, number three. Because he's and awesome. Because he's, yeah. I mean, the little bit I know, great story. I'm excited to do it. Disappointed I'm not doing it. <laughs> However, I'm go- I am looking for, I get to learn more about him. Yeah. Through not me having to read, so this will be good. I'm I am excited and bummed at the same time. Oh man, wow! And it, like I don't know, it's just an inkling. So like it's good, <laughs> good to know that I that I can trust that little part of me that's like, ah, like you you got this one from him. So sweet. yes, you did. Yep. you absolutely did. Yep. <laughs> ah, excellent. All right, let's continue. But yeah, he was born in uh, Barcelona, Spain in 1912 to a family of moderate means and liberal political beliefs. Okay. Yeah. And this is 1912 liberal, so, you know. It's yeah, yeah. Than, yeah. But um, yeah, his mother came from a very strict Roman Catholic family. She was very devout. and like Common she, for Spain at the she, time. Yeah, she took communion every day. Uh, but his father was a much, lot of bread. That is a lot of bread. I mean, yeah, Get them lot, big hips, mm-hmm, a lot of carbs. But his father was much more secular, and uh, that's where a lot of the liberal political beliefs. And came he was from. just like once a week communion. I mean, if if that, I mean, you know, like Eastern Christmas, communion. probably. Yeah, yeah. He was the third of four children. And uh, at the age of seven, uh, Juan Puel was sent to Catholic boarding school. 20 miles away or 32 kilometers as they would say hey so we love you and all but go away forever yeah he remained there for four years so go away for four years the students were only allowed out of school on sundays ironically enough to go to church if um it doesn't specify but that was the only days that they were allowed to leave only if they had a visitor and oh uh so and his father who was you know, probably mm-hmm. he made it a point to get up there every Sunday to see uh, to see his son. Okay. So good dad. At age thirteen, he was transferred to a school that was in Barcelona, so he got to kind of come home. Uh, yeah. And uh, this school was run by his father's card playing buddy, uh, Monsignor Josep. Um, I feel like that's probably not a great school. Uh, <laughs> hey, so I'm your dad. I know a guy I play cards with. Yeah. He has a school. Yeah. It's in his basement. It's fine. It's Fully fine. accredited. Mm-hmm. You're good. Uh, so he remained there for three years, but after an argument with the teacher, he decided that he no longer wished to remain at school. And so he left. <laughs> Which was, <laughs> I, I love, I mean, people still drop out of school to this day. But it seemed way more acceptable and way more common back then. Just be like, eh, this isn't really my thing. I'm just going to well, not do this. He had an yeah. argument with a teacher. Yeah. 
Like, over what? Like, what are you even arguing with a teacher about? Is it a grade? Is it about, like, you completely disagree the way the teacher is like, you're like, no, geometry doesn't work that way. And she's like, no, it does. Mm. I what What is that argument about? Yeah, no clue. I want uh, that deep dive. Yeah, so, but but he left, and when he left, he became an apprentice at a hardware store. So he didn't just, like, leave and was lazy and, you know, did whatever. Like, well, you he, couldn't. He went to work. No, you definitely couldn't. You had to get things done. Um, he had uh, a many number of jobs, actually. Um, he tried to run a cinema for a little bit. Okay. Um, he worked at this hardware store. He didn't go to school again, but he, he did some, like, schooling and learning uh in animal husbandry um oh specifically okay. with poultry and chickens why if you're have, choosing animals why would you choose I, poultry i don't know well i mean now he'd be a rich man um if you oh, had all yeah. this, Just, yeah, hey i got yeah. eggs who I wants eggs? eggs yeah but uh but yeah they're so, stinky they're stupid they're gross they're mean i hate chickens dude they're like i love eating chicken but feathery like dinosaurs oh yeah, like, yeah they're yeah. awful nope not cool so. But you can kick him a pretty good distance. I will give it to you. <laughs> yeah. So, um, in 1931, uh, uh, Juan Pujol did his six months of compulsory middle, military service uh, in a cavalry unit. So he had to go into That's the military. Right. He was in the 7th Regiment of Light Artillery. and I like how it's artillery and cavalry. It's like, hey... We have these guns that can shoot super far, mm-hmm. but also horses still. Yeah. And it's a we at this point it like we're in that realm where technology is moving so fast mm-hmm. that there are areas that's left behind or that we're still clinging on to stuff. And it's absolutely fascinating to me. Like this mm-hmm. whole 30 year period, basically right up until World War II. Basically, 1910 up to World War II is a phenomenal time period where cars and horses are on the road. Yep. Yes. Yep. At the same time, like there's a place to park your car and a place to park your horse. I mean, I don't think it's called parking, but um, no, it it definitely is. You you got it. First first time. Yeah. Hey, let's park that horse. Mm, It's so cool. It's a sweet time in history. Yeah. I mean, they had machine yeah. <laughs> guns on the battlefield, and they're using machine guns to kill horses. Yeah. Which is wild. Mm-hmm. I've seen stuff, pictures and stuff of, like, gaddling machine guns on horses. So, like, <laughs> like on their little saddlebags <laughs> thing, where it just flips out. And maybe that was in, like... How do you train a horse for that? Maybe that was... Horses are skittish. Yeah. Like, hey, we're going to mount this rapid fire gun on top of you yeah maybe check me on that because i might be misremembering it and thinking of that uh, that really bad jonah hex movie that came out like <laughs> 10 years ago hi <laughs> <laughs> oh, carl urban okay bud <laughs> it was Ooh, it was, that was- it- it wasn't was Carl so Urban. It was. Was uh, it not Carl Urban? Nope. It was uh, everyone's favorite Thanos. Uh, it was. It was. Um, that was Josh Brolin. It was Josh Brolin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm thinking of a different movie in my head. Still bad. Yep. John Malkovich was the villain in that movie. Oh, I love John Malkovich. Yep. Oh, that was such a bad movie. Um, oh yeah. But anyway, yeah, he did not like being in the military. Uh, he he knew that he was unsuited for a military career. He hated horse riding. Because he we know he likes arguing. Yeah. And yeah. you're not allowed to do that. Mm-mm. Also, he chose to learn about animals and chose chickens and not horses. Well, he hates horses. He, he hates horse riding. And Clay, Is it because they're large? I mean, I don't like horses. I think... Have it, were they mean to you? Yeah, I've been bucked off of one. Um, like, for real? For real, I was like six. It was like a whole thing. It was bad. Okay. Well, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's not cool. Maybe so, you be nice to them. I'm not like be nice I'm to not you. mean, but I d- I didn't do anything wrong. But you do try to steer your car towards them. Like, I, get it. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, they're just trying to park over there, and there uh, comes James with his car. <laughs> yep, yep. I can't afford that, so. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he hated the horse riding and claimed to quote lack the essential qualities of loyalty, generosity, and honor that was required for military service. Well, 
it's good to be introspective. And mm-hmm. that fact that he knows about himself, that he's mm-hmm. a lying scoundrel who's no good for anything. Well, mm-hmm. you know, good know, for him. Know thyself. Like, he he definitely got it. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, he, he left after that little six-month stint. Then he managed, he moved on to managing a poultry farm nor- just north of Barcelona. Oh, oh yeah. That's, it's like, I just, the stench. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. have you ever driven past or been near a large group of poultry. Yes. It is awful. It's awful. It is so bad. It's, it's one of the worst smells. Disgusting, yeah. So that was in 1936. Also that year, the Spanish Civil War began. Oh, yes. Yeah. His father had died a few months prior. Really sad. Yeah, I'm um, heartbroken about it, that's for yeah. sure. Um, so he was already kind of sad about that. His sister, Elena... But who's going to visit him on Sundays now? I, honestly, yeah. His sister, Elena, her fiancé, was taken by Republican forces, and later she and Juan's mother were arrested and charged with beating counter-revolutionaries. So, uh, thankfully, a relative in a trade union was able to rescue them from their captivity, though. I like how it's specified that the relative is in a trade union. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, we're in a union. It's the union of uh, prison breaks. Yeah, we got you. Don't yep. worry. We had a meeting. We talked we about voted, it. We voted. Ratified. The union's in support of breaking them out of prison, yep. so you're good to go. And we got dental. Oh, no way. We got dental. It was a big no ask. Way. But, wow. you know, I said no dental or, or is it dental or, or we walk, you know, and they, they put it on the table, so... <laughs> Juan was uh, was called upon for military service on the Republican side in opposition to Francisco Franco's nationalists. This is all in Spain. Yeah, separate all stuff about, like, liberals and Republicans. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all, yeah. Very, yeah, not mm-hmm. at all no, no, no. analogies yeah, to yeah. our current time frame and he, terms. He opposed the Republican government due to their poor treatment of his family. They, since they... Yeah, that's yeah. weird. Yeah, since they so took So he's his... not for people mistreating people he cares about. No, he's not. Huh. Um, That's so, so different from everyone else. Yeah. So he uh he hid from them uh at his girlfriend's house. And... <laughs> I'll be honest, if I know you got a girlfriend, I'm gonna look for you. <laughs> that's that's I mean, not a great hiding spot. I, I feel like that's like number one answer on the family feud board, like on places to hide, like that we Under can find bed, you. Under the bed, girlfriend's like... house. <laughs> yeah. In a bed at the girlfriend's house. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he was eventually though captured uh, in a what? Yeah, no. Like a week later, like it wasn't even. Wow, yeah. I, so. I'm honestly surprised it took them that long. So yeah, that's um, embarrassing. And uh, he was imprisoned. He was only in prison for a week though. Well, um, he knows the right union. So yeah, he's got the he union was. Contacts. He was freed via the traditionalist resistance group, the Coro Blanco. Okay. Yeah, they got him. Some of these names are phenomenal. Oh, it's great. Yeah, there's (laughs) plenty more. There's plenty more to come. Oh, good. Uh, Yeah. So, Socorro Blanco hid him until they could produce and procure fake identity papers that showed him uh, to be too old for military service. Hey! Yeah. Hey, you guys. Yep. So, once again, he started managing a poultry farm. (laughs) It's not me, the same guy from earlier. It's a different guy. Look at me, I'm old now. So, Wait, what were we doing over yep. here? Yep, so he's now an air quotes older version of himself that's too old to be conscripted for military service. Farming chickens. <laughs> Except this time, the farm had been requisitioned by the local Republican government. Um, whom he hates. Whom he hates, and it was not economically viable. So he's poisoning the chickens to kill the Republicans. No, the I mean, he just kind of dealt with it, but this led to him further not liking them. <laughs> uh, the The experience with rule by committee intensified his antipathy toward communism. Okay, which you know, communism's yep. not good. Uh, Historically, it's really bad. Yeah, it's never done anything right anyway, so... Uh, Well, I mean, I don't know. They've gotten rid of a lot of people, so... Okay, 
if your goal they're is, super good at if, killing if your goal is human extermination then communism's your thing it's for you it's for you so if you want to be a maniacal dictator if you want to wield insane amounts of power yeah try communism so he was a and we'll come to see that he's an interesting man our our Juan. Uh, really into chickens and he, I'm a little concerned by that he rejoined the mil- the Republican military using his false papers. With- Hi, I, yeah. I would like to join now. I know earlier <laughs> I didn't, but I have changed my, uh, you know, age is a number and it's mm-hmm. had really how old you are inside is what counts. Mm-hmm. So he, he, he rejoined the, mili- the Republican military using his false papers with the intention to desert as soon as possible. <laughs> what? Like- <laughs> You have the same effect by not showing up to begin with. Yeah, he volunteered to lay telegraph cables near the front lines. Um, <laughs> and he managed to successfully desert to the nationalist side during <laughs> during the Battle of Ebro in September 1938. However, like he, he was... just gone there. Yeah, he could have just gone he there. Like, I don't know. hey, I'll just walk. <laughs> I think it was more of like maybe like a slap in the face to them or something, but yeah. Yeah, I know they yeah. really felt that thing. Sure. Oh, no, yeah. not the old guy's gone yeah. now. We feel so, so bad. He was, however, he was equally ill-treated by the nationalists. Well, yeah, because they're like, we don't, we don't want this old guy over yeah. here. I mean, he's not old. His papers say he's old, but like. I know, yeah. but he's got to act like, he can't okay, be like and showing not- up like. Hey, I'm 21 years old, but I'm, well, he can't be asking 21 years old when his papers say he's 50. Well, that's the thing. Like, I don't think they're saying it's 50. I think he's, it's just like, he's just too so, old like, the enough. cutoff's 27 and he's 28. He's 28 or 20. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. That's less so. fun, but sure. Sure. We'll go yeah. with it. Yeah. So, yeah, he was equally ill-treated by the nationalists, disliking their fascist influence. And, uh... uh yeah, there, there's not a... Hero side in the Civil War. No, no, it's just two bads. Two very bad. It's two bads and then literally every major power in the world saying like, hey, try out this weapon for us. Mm -hmm. Give this one a shot. Would you experiment with this? Yeah, yeah. It's a testing ground for sure. 100%. He was even struck and imprisoned by his colonel while he was serving on the nationalist side after he expressed sympathy with the monarchy. Okay. Yeah, so, you know. It's probably more than that. Oh, I'm He's sure. He's probably arguing. Yeah. So he, uh, it was an interesting time in Garcia's life. His experience with both sides left him with a deep loathing of both fascism and communism, which are good things to loathe. They're yeah, I, I'm on board with that. Yeah. And, uh, and so, by extension, he loathed Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union. Oh, wow, it went that way? Huh. Yeah. He was proud that he had managed to serve both sides of the Spanish Civil War without firing a single bullet for either. <laughs> I don't think he can say he served both sides. <laughs> like, he joined one side purposely to quit. Like, he's yeah. like, hey, I'll go do this thing in the dangerous area. JK, I didn't do anything and I walked away. Like, Peace that's out. not serving yeah. the sign. Uh, oh, I'm in? Cool. Uniform? Sweet. Peace. I'm going. Thanks for the free clothes, suckers. Yep. Sucker. Yeah. After his discharge from the Nationalist Army, <laughs> he he met Araceli Gonzalez in Burgos. I'm sure I've mispronounced some I'm of that. I'm really hoping she's not a chicken. No, she's not a chicken. And he married her in Madrid, and they had one child, Juan Fernando. Okay. Yeah. Very clever with names. Yep. In 1940, during the early stages of World War II, Juan Pujol decided that he must make a contribution, quote, for the good of humanity by helping Britain, which at the time was Germany's only adversary. Yep. Yep. Does not like them Nazis. Hates those guys. Because this one guy yelled at me this one time Mm -hmm. because I said something nice about the king and queen. But imagine going back, like, what's his rosebud? Like, if if it's that teacher, being that teacher. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Like, the person who began this trajectory. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 
it's it's that's interesting the fulcrum it's, by which all of the rest of this happens it's fun to think about certainly he hated being a soldier he did not like it but he wanted to help and he wanted to hurt the germans so he to repress violence and anger he in in january 1941 he approaches the british embassy in madrid three different times Voila! yeah um they showed no interest in employing him. Oh, I should mention, he's like, maybe I can try my hand at spycraft since I hate being a soldier. You know, spying. That Indubitably, seems so, that's not going to work. That seems like something anybody can just, you know, decide yeah, to do. I mean, chicken farmer naturally is really good. Yeah, I see spycraft. the dots connected there. Oh, yeah. and it's a short walk. Yeah, so... But yeah, so he approached the British Embassy three different times, uh, showing interest like, hey, I would like to be a spy for you guys. You know, I hate the Nazis. I hate them. Um, And you know the British are like, yeah, you're clearly not a Nazi spy. (laughs) It's really, yeah, we get it. You are not a Nazi spy. Yeah. You've got us convinced for sure. You can leave now, you moron. The eagerness, I'm sure, didn't help like three different times. And just like, like, hi, I would like to be a spy for you. I hate this other people that I would like to go spy on. Yeah. But also, and we're saying, I mean, we're speaking every red flag. Yeah. He also, he also, he didn't speak a lick of English. So, you know, that, that was a fun conversation, like trying to get, like, it was in the Madrid embassy. So there was uh-huh. clearly people that yeah, spoke I mean, they're, Spanish, they're gonna like speak, translate, speak Spanish. but, um, but yeah, so they was like, um, no, thanks. Thanks, but no, thanks. Uh, you don't have any connections or credentials like at all. So we're going to pass, but it turns ever... out you just go close to the enemy yeah. and join them. So thanks. Yeah. So you have a good day now, sir. Like, are Bye. you trying to collect uniforms from as many different armies as you can? Yeah. Like, what's going on right now? Yeah. So, um, he was bummed, but not deterred. So, he decided to kind of freelance this thing. And he's like, be a self-starter. He's like, I don't need a, any backing. So, how about I'm going to go to the Germans. And I'm going to say, like... like <laughs> I'm going to say, like... Hey guys, hey Germany. So yeah, I love this whole thing that you you've got going on, this Nazi thing, and I would love to. Hey, like, can I be a spy for you guys? And so yeah, he Poole created an identity as a fanatical pro-Nazi Spanish government official who could travel to London on business. Um, <laughs> He obtained a fake Spanish diplomatic passport by fooling a printer into thinking that he worked for the Spanish embassy in Lisbon. How? I don't know. It just says he did. It just says he fooled him. Yeah. Like, oh gosh, people. People are so dumb. He didn't even go to Germany to contact the Germans. He went to the embassy in Germany or in Madrid uh, like, he went to uh, a, a man named Frederick Knopfreite, uh, or... Yeah, I'm sure yeah. you got that right. Got that so one. Right. That I got the so Knopfreite, yeah. He's a Nazi agent in Madrid, codenamed Frederico. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> yep. Like, yes, yep. we yep. know Nazi <laughs> Germany was very racist. <laughs> but, like... Hey, you're going to go hang out with people who speak Spanish. And so we're going to just name your name with an O on the end. Just add, add oh that O. Oh my gosh. That makes it Spanish. <laughs> and like, this is your code name. You mean my nickname? No, 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 no we mean name. your official code name that we use for you. Like, I couldn't have something cool like the Eagle or, or the Panther. Mm-mm. No, you get... Frederico. <laughs> yep. So, Frederico. Yep. Uh, the Nazis loved this idea. They were like, "Oh yeah, like come on, we'll take." Like, so I just <laughs> like, imagine it so like multicultural. <laughs> <laughs> I like imagine it as this like, uh, <laughs> like 
I mean, I know it's not like this, but he, he's got the British embassy and he goes to them a few times and they decline him. So he's like, okay. And he walks across the street yeah! and goes into the German one and is like, hey, Frederico, you should let me help you guys out. I don't like them. No, I don't What's like up, the British. Dudes? What's up, guys? And I really am down with what you guys got going on here. So, yeah, it's just, it's, it's so... It's so funny to me just how I've already of... made inroads with the Brits, so yeah. I'll be a great spy for you guys with them. Yep. I've talked to them three times already. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. they love me. So the Nazis not only accepted uh Juan Pujol and uh like with open arms, they gave him a crash course in espionage, <laughs> <laughs> including secret code writing, a bottle of invisible ink. A okay. Code, a code book. Like an Enigma code book? Yeah. No way. Like for the Enigma machine. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay, I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to give anything away about the future because I know what, I know some of what happens. Okay, cool. Uh, but yeah, he got a code book and also 600 pounds for expenses. Okay. <laughs> they just gave him like, hey, here you go. Um, You'll need this. His instructions from the Germans was to move to Britain and recruit a network of British agents. But of course, he didn't have the ability to get to London, so he just went back to Lisbon. (laughs) He pretended he was in London, a place he'd never been to before. Lisbon starts with an L. London London starts with an L. He didn't even speak the English language. And he started on this self-made imaginary espionage career. Well, he went to Portugal instead. Yeah. Like, another language he doesn't speak. So, using a tourist guide to Britain, reference books, and magazines from the Lisbon Public Library, and newsreel reports he saw in cinemas, uh, Juan created seemingly credible reports that appeared to come from London. (laughs) During his time in Portugal, he stayed in Estoril uh, at the Hotel Palacio. He claimed to be traveling around Britain and submitted his travel expenses based on fares listed in British <laughs> Railway guys. <laughs> like, he's just sitting in a hotel room, like, <laughs> nerding out on British literature. Yeah. And I don't mean, like... Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, British literature. No, no, no. But no, literally no. any form of literature from England he can find. Mm-hmm. And just like, hey, here's what I discovered. Did you know you can boil everything and still eat it? <laughs> yep. It's hilarious to me how he, how he like, pieced this all together. And when I say, like, he, he would submit travel expenses, that's kind of where he messed up a little bit. He was unfamiliar with the non-decimal system of currency that is used that was oh. used in Britain at the time. The pound sterling was subdivided in 20, sh- 20 shillings, and they e- each have twelve pence. Even this, as I'm explaining it to you, I don't really understand it because I'm, yeah, I'm American. Yeah, I'm not in a long as if I fully understand. Yeah, all that to say. Pool was uh, unable to total his expenses in this complex system, so he just itemized them all and said that he would send the total later. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Also during this time, he created an extensive network of fictitious sub-agents living in different parts of Britain. Because he had never actually visited the UK. He, uh, he made several mistakes. Claiming as such that his alleged contact in Glasgow would, quote, do anything for a liter of wine, unaware of Scottish drinking habits, or that the UK didn't use the metric system at this time. Well, there's that. (laughs) Yeah. His reports were intercepted by the British Ultra Communications Interception Program, and uh, they seemed credible enough that the British Counterintelligence Service, MI5, Launched a full-scale spy hunt against him. We gotta find this guy. We gotta find this guy. He knows too much. Yep. Uh, Sir, so we actually... He actually came to us uh, a little bit ago. And we didn't feel like he was credible. And turns out reading reading the reports we've been able to discover... He he still seems not credible. (laughs) I think we were correct in our initial assessment. Yeah. So, he did this until February 1942... Either he or his wife's, there's different accounts about this, but they 
approached the United States after they entered the war. They contacted U.S. Navy Lieutenant Patrick Demarest in the Naval Attaché's office in Lisbon. They recognized Juan's potential. Okay. Demarest contacted his British counterparts. So yeah, the Americans were like, uh, this guy knows how to do spy craft. Uh, Yo, this guy's real, he real smart. I mean, he's he's doing doing what Americans do, break the rules and get the job done. Like, Like, have have you seen him work with some chickens? Yeah. I ain't never seen anything quite like that. Yeah. Ooh, boy. Mm Mm-hmm. So... The Brits then become aware that someone has been misinforming the Germans for them. (laughs) They realize the value of this after after the German Navy wasted resources attempting to hunt down a non-existent convoy reported to them by Juan. (laughs) Made up up a whole convoy. At that point, you have to go, this guy, kill him. Wait, like the if Germans? you're the Gestapo. Oh, okay. Like, why are you not just killing him? We'll get to that in a second. Yeah, but yeah, they're they're hunting down this fake convoy that doesn't exist. The Brits are like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, you can come work for us now. Like, you're you're doing good work. And so he's finally made official. Uh, brought in, he was actually moved to Britain in April twenty fourth of nineteen forty two. And given the code name Bovril after the drink concentrate. Do you know what Bovril is? No. It's like, think of like Marmite or Vegemite. Oh my gosh. But it, like, it's a little thing that you add to other, like you'd like add to water and mix it up. Oh. Uh, uh, yeah. It's like Metamucil. Yeah. Yeah. Not aw- not an awesome code name, to say the least. Um, hey, I'm Fiber Supplement. Yeah. So after he passed the security check conducted by MI6 officer... They suggested that he be accompanied by an MI5 officer named Tomas Harris, who is a fluent Spanish speaker. Hola! Uh, yeah, to brief uh, Pujol on how he and Harris should work together. And later, Juan Pujol's family was also moved to Britain, uh, so his son and his wife uh, moved up there with him. Juan Pujol operated as a double agent under the Double X committees, and his initial case officer... Uh, spoke no Spanish <laughs> and quickly dropped out of the picture. It was like, nope, this ain't going to work. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. that. One thing that he did do, though, uh, his first case officer, he contributed a suggestion to change uh, his code name because Juan was truly extraordinary in terms of how he was able to use his imagination to come up with faulty information slightly faulty information and communicate that in a believable way and so he felt that uh this guy needs a better a better code name we should name him after the best actor in the world that they thought at the time was a a woman named greta garbo and so his code name became garbo after that um, and it maintained that's a much better sounding name for garbo yeah definitely so the case officer dropped out after that and he uh tomas harris became his official case officer speaks spanish so it kind of makes sense to yeah, me. It, it, yeah i get it yeah together uh harris and pujol wrote 315 letters averaging 2,000 words that's Adder- a lot of words in a letter oh yeah addressed to a post office box in lisbon supplied by the germans his fictitious spy network was so efficient and verbose that his German handlers were overwhelmed and made no further attempts to recruit any additional spies in the United Kingdom, according to the official history of British intelligence of World War II. Wow, this guy's so good. Mm, So good. Yeah, yeah. He's got, I mean, he's got it all, like, in a system. Again, that's a terrible German accent. Yeah, we do kind of cut out all attempts at accents. It is not happening tonight. Yeah, but needless to say, he's doing great work now. Like, excellent. He's killing it. Yeah. Without killing. Mm -hmm. Like, no killing. No killing, yeah. The information supplied to German intelligence was a mixture of complete fiction, genuine information of little military value, and valuable military intelligence, but that was artificially delayed. Yeah, I mean you've gotta you gotta measure it. Like you can't just like make up crap. 
No. It's got to be actual real things. Yeah. And it, and the changes have to be slight enough to where they can always look at it like, oh, that didn't work out the way we thought it would. Oh, we totally see how, you know, one person could have changed one little thing and it affected this. Yeah. Or, you know, one in the moment decision led to blah, blah, blah. So that's a that's a tight rope to walk for sure. Yeah. And he he walked that tightrope very well. Going back to your question of like, why didn't they just kill him after like they realized it was somewhat like because he was so good at kind mm-hmm. of sprinkling out information, fake information, true but delayed information. Like it was it he was a master oh, yeah. at it. It was like a savant because I mean no you don't like go to school. Well, you can go to school I guess to be a spy, but like it's not something like you really learn I, I think there's a lot of hands-on training that comes with it and he would just happen to be really good so. at it so there's yeah. got to be a spy school though you know oh i'm you sure know there yeah, are yeah, spy yeah. schools yeah i want to go to spy school that'd be cool can you go I to would that be like a terrible sp- spy it's like billy either choose space camp or spy school spy school oh okay Ooh, cool. that would be a, like to present that, would... that to a 11 year old oh man are that you would hitting man how do you choose between those two? <laughs> oh wow yeah yeah, both. I mean, that's a that's a Sophie's choice right there. Oh man, be thinking about that. Yeah. I don't know what I would choose now. <laughs> oh, I think I'd have to do uh, Spy School over Space Camp. Yeah. I mean, I do have a much better chance of being a becoming a spy than ever yeah. going to space. Yeah. So there is that. Yeah. But maybe that's why you go to Space Camp is because then you maybe get to experience some of that that you literally have no chance of ever doing otherwise. Mm-hmm. True. So yeah, in November of 1942, just before Operation Torch landings in North Africa, Garbo, which is how we'll refer to Juan from okay. here on out. Code name. Code name Garbo. Uh, Garbo's agent on the river, Clyde, mm-hmm. reported that a... Uh, air quotes around agent on the Clyde. river. Clyde. reported that a convoy of troop ships and warships had left port, painted in Mediterranean camouflage. While the letter was sent by airmail and postmarked before the landings, it was deliberately delayed by a British intelligence in order to arrive too late to be useful. Garbo received a reply from the Germans stating, We are sorry that they arrived too late, but your last reports were magnificent. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, these are great. Keep them coming, but... You know, I get it. You know, Did it's you the mail. Speed it up a little bit. It's the mail. You know, you can't. That's out of your hands. So keep up the good work, and you know, we'll get them next time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get them yeah. next time. So, so Garbo had been supposedly communicating with the Germans via a courier, a Royal Dutch airline pilot, willing to carry messages to and from Lisbon for cash. This meant that message deliveries were limited to whenever KLM flights were scheduled. <laughs> so that's another kind of barrier between communication. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I can only, you know, get this communication yeah, exactly. out at this time. But yeah. In 1943, responding to a German request for speedier communication, Garbo and Harris created a fictitious radio operator. In 1943, radio became the new preferred method of communication. Okay. So they moved on from letters to radio. On occasion, he had to invent reasons why his agents failed to report easily available information that the Germans would eventually know about. For example, he had to report that his fabricated agent in Liverpool had fallen ill just before major fleet movement from that port, so he was unable to report the event. To later support this story... This agent eventually died, and an obituary. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's heartbreaking. It's tragic. (laughs) It's tragic. An an obituary. Not Clyde. Nope. Uh, An obituary was placed in the local newspaper as further evidence to convince (laughs) the Germans. Which actually, so like, I'm. It's like he cut out the obituary clipping from the newspaper and said the obituary. Oh my gosh! Oh, see. Um, the Germans were also persuaded to pay a pension to this fake yes! agent's widow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so listen, Germans. Um, Clyde was—he was a family man, and he did he a lot of great work. Kids. He did a lot of great work for this organization, and I think we should help out his family. You know, 
me and the boys, the rest of us are pitching in. It, it'd really mean a lot if you guys did the same. Uh, yeah, sure, we can do that. How's a, how about a how about a pension just for for the wife? Hey, that sounds awesome. That sounds great. You Thank can send you that so to much. me. I'll make sure she gets that. Well, obviously the Germans can't send anything right to her. No. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't have access to the no. secret ways. No. <laughs> so for radio communication, Alaric needed the strongest hand encryption the Germans had. The Germans provided Garbo with this system, which was in turn supplied to the codebreakers in London. Mm -hmm. uh, Garbo's encrypted messages were to be received in Madrid, manually decrypted, and then re-encrypted with an Enigma machine for okay. retransmission to Berlin. Having both the original text and the Enigma encoded interception of it, the Codebreakers had the best possible source material oh, gosh, yes. for a chosen plain text attack on the German's Enigma key. So yep. they had, it's like having, it's like you, you have your math textbook and you know that on page, you know, 437, there's the index of the answers to the questions that yep. are on page, you know, 48. And it's perfect. It's awesome. And the Germans are none the wiser. Yep. It's excellent. Yeah. It really, like, the things that they were able to do and to break the Enigma, it's, it's, it's awesome. Mm -hmm. In January of 1944, the Germans told Garbo that they believed a large-scale invasion in Europe was imminent and asked to be kept informed. This invasion mm. was Operation Overlord, yep. and Garbo played a leading role in Operation Fortitude, which was the deception campaign to conceal Overlord. Yeah, he the, sent uh, blow up tanks. Yeah, he sent 500 radio messages between January 1944 and D-Day. At times, there was 20 messages per day. Yeah, just overwhelm them. Yeah, during planning for the Normandy beach invasion, the Allies decided that it was vitally important that the German leaders be misled into believing that the landing would happen at the Strait of Dover. Mm -hmm. In order to maintain his credibility, though, it was decided that Garbo or one of his fake agents, should forewarn the Germans of the timing and some details of the actual invasion of Normandy, although they would just send it a little too late, just too uh. late for them to take effective action. Special arrange arrangements were made with the German radio operators to be listening to Garbo through the night of June 5th and 6th, uh, or yeah, 5th through the 6th, um, 1944 using the story that a sub-agent was about to arrive with important information. Oh, yes. However, when, they, when the call was made at 3 a.m., no reply from the Germans was received. Mm. No reply came until 8 a.m. <laughs> this enabled Garbo to add even more genuine, but now out-of-date information, mm -hmm. operational details, to this message when it was finally received and thus increase his standing with the Germans. Garbo told his German contacts that he was disgusted that his first message was missed, saying, quote, I cannot accept excuses or negligence from, from you. Were it not for my ideals, I would just walk away, abandon my work altogether. <laughs> and I love how he's doing all of this to... And I think it's important to point out at this point in the story, again, the Germans are the first ones who believed in this man. Mm -hmm. Everyone else was like, yeah, no. But the Germans are going, no, we see something in you. Yep. You are special. Like, you've got something to, to, to contribute. And yes, you can be a spy. We believe in you. And he's doing all of this to the ones who believed him. And I just, I love that. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And yeah, the, your ineptitude led to D-Day happening. That was on you guys, not on me. Like, come on. I did my part. I did my part. What the heck, y'all? I oh mean, do you gosh. even want me to do this for like, <laughs> like Oh, I love it. I love well, it. Fake anger is the best. It's amazing, yeah. yeah. On the 9th of June, three days after D-Day, Garbo sent a message to German intelligence that was passed to Adolf Hitler himself. <laughs> Garbo said that he had that he had confirmed or that he had conferred with his top agents and developed an order of battle showing 75 divisions of in Britain 
In reality, there were only about 50. Part of the Fortitude plan was to convince the Germans that a fictitious formation, uh, first U.S. Army group comprising 11 divisions, which is about 150,000 men, commanded by General Patton, was stationed southeast of Britain. The deception was supported by fake planes, inflatable tanks, mm-hmm. and vans traveling about the area transmitting bogus radio chatter. So think a giant balloon shaped like a tank. Yeah. Just that they believed. The, well, enough, the, enough, convincing enough to where you can see it from a plane. From a plane, maybe one of those, you know, little binocular things. Uh-huh. Yeah, from a, from, yeah. Um, but. Because, like, Gar- you get up close, yeah. they don't look anything at all. Like, they don't, like, because, like, the picture of them, you're like, what is that misshapen <laughs> lump? Yep. But from yep. distance, yeah, it could easily be a tank. Yep. Garbo's message pointed out that units from this formation had not participated in the invasion, and therefore the first landing should be considered a diversion. Hey, D-Day's a diversion. (laughs) You wait. They're coming. They're really coming to this other place. It's not the real one. No. (laughs) Which, I mean, with how how bloody D-Day was, I can't imagine what that... Oh my gosh. Yeah. A German message to to Madrid sent two days later said... Quote, all reports received in the last week from Arabelle, which is the name of his fake spy network that okay. they, that they uh, they gave it a name. That's um, a good name too. Arabelle, like great name. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, yeah, all reports received in the last week from Arabelle spy network undertaking have been confirmed without exception and are to be described as especially valuable. So the Germans again really <laughs> loving this guy. <laughs> Really singing his praises, yeah. But my gosh, he just gets him to us just a ah. second too late. Yep. A post-war examination of German records found that during Operation Fortitude, no fewer than 62 of Garbo's reports were included in OKW intelligence summaries. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's wild. Yep. OKW accepted Garbo's reports so completely that they kept two armored divisions and 19 infantry divisions at the Pass de Calais, waiting for a second invasion through July and August. The German commander-in-chief in the West, Field Marshal Gerd von Rundstedt, refused to allow General Erwin Rommel to move these divisions to Normandy. <laughs> no, 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 there's a second wave coming. You guys don't need it. Yeah. I had no idea this was the guy responsible for that. Yeah. Because truly, if those troops had been moved, like if Rommel had been listened to, D-Day might have been shut down. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a good chance that it would not have been successful. Nope. Yeah. There were more German troops at the Pas de Calais region two months after the Normandy invasion than there had been on D-Day itself. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. In late June of that year, Garbo was instructed by the Germans to report uh, on the falling of V-1 flying bombs finding no real way to give false information without arousing suspicion and being unwilling to give correct information, Tomas Harris, Garbo's handler, arranged for Garbo to be arrested. Oh, um, no. You know, yeah, very convenient. He returned to duty a few days later, now having a need to avoid London, and forwarded an official letter of apology from the Home Secretary of his unlawful detention. <laughs> oh so, my gosh. Yeah. Hey, sorry guys, I know you really needed me, but I just, I got arrested, so, you know. Look, I, and they're sorry about it. Here's yeah. a letter proving it. Yep. I would love for you to take a guess at how much money the Germans spent on... Are we talking today's money? Their money... But you you can use American dollars because okay. so in American dollars in 1948 or 44, uh, how much money did the Germans pay Garbo and his his network? Uh, network? I want to say two million dollars in 1948 money. Oh no, money. no, you're you're in the rat, you're in the, you're in the rafters, dude. But. Okay, that's kind of I I, yeah, I was hoping that was really high. That's that's really high. Five hundred thousand. Still a little little high. Two fifty. Not quite high enough. So three hundred forty three hundred and forty thousand dollars in nineteen forty four money. That's um, a lot of money. Over the course of the war to support his fake network of agents, uh, which at one point totaled twenty seven fabricated characters. <laughs> and 
Mm-hmm. And you know, like, to have different characters providing you information. Yeah. You have to be able to relay the differences in personality and everything else for each one of those characters. Like, yeah, it's going through him, so he's the filter. But he's, like, each one's going to provide different levels of detail and different things they're noticing and picking up on. And you've got to be consistent amongst, you know, your Clyde is mm-hmm. this way. And he's going to notice a little bit more technical aspects. And then you have Edwin, who's going to be more, you know, people oriented. And he's going to notice more intuition sort of things. There's a whole, on this Wikipedia, there is a whole breakdown of his network. Um, So it's like Agent 1, or Agent 2 is William Gerbers. He's a Swiss-German businessman. And that's the one that died uh, and left left a widow. Mm. Pension paid in full by the Germans. <laughs> um, Agent three, Benedict Carlos, a uh, Venezuelan student in Glasgow. He was a pilot and an officer in the 49th British in- Infantry. Uh, he was also a Greek seaman and a deserter. How those so things. So he's Venezuelan, yeah, Venezuelan, Greek. Fighting the British and, and Greek. Uh, but also he's in Glasgow. Like, yeah, so he's <laughs> in Scotland. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, like there's a someone... Venezuelan Greek man wearing a kilt. Yeah, um, but yeah, and there's plenty of like there's I could go on like That's literally amazing. there's 27 of these. So, um, yeah, he he definitely had his work cut out for him in that sense of the work in that sense of the yeah. Um, so yeah, they paid him pretty penny uh, uh-huh. throughout the course of the war. <laughs> um, they also so he he was known he's known as Garbo to us. I I like the German code name that they gave him, Alaric. Um, um, Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love, yeah, that's good. That's I good think, stuff. I think that's a better code name than Garbo, but yeah. So the Germans are like, Agent Agent Alaric, what do you have for us? And okay, the, I, I might yeah. switch to the German side because of the because of that because of the better name. Yeah, the like, Brits number are like, one, they believe Gabo. in me first, yeah. and mm-hmm. a better code uh, name. Better code name, yeah. So, as Agent Alaric, he was awarded the German Iron Cross second class in January 29th, or in, in July 29th, 1944, <laughs> for his services like, to the, the German war. The war's almost ethics. over, but we're still handing out medals. Like you, at this point, we pretty much know we've lost, and we're still giving out medals. You can't get the German Iron Cross without the Führer signing off on it. Yeah, it's a big darn deal. It's a massive deal. So, and normally it was reserved for frontline fighting men and required Hitler's personal authorization and signature. Also, normally, this is presented by Hitler himself in like uh-huh. big rallies and things. But he's he's a secret spy. He's, he's a agent. spy. So they presented his award via radio. However, that worked. But like you've got to know, he was laughing so hard <laughs> during yeah. that, like any sort of laugh attack I've ever had pales yeah. in comparison to that level of laughter of just I fooled them all. I fooled the Fuhrer himself. This, yeah. well, that's got to be pretty that's, easy. The man was, at this point, going literally bonkers oh, yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so, it's epic. And so, yeah, he, he received the, the Iron Cross as a Lark. Now, as Garbo, he received an MBE from King George VI on November 25th, 1944. So in the same year, he got a, like, the... the the highest honor that a German uh-huh. military per- can receive, and also the highest honor that a British military person can can receive from well, the king. Once again, the Germans believed in him in first. Pr- yeah, you know, like, the Germans <laughs> like, hey, we value you so much. Here's a medal. Here's a medal. Yeah. And then the British are like, oh, I guess we had to give him one too now. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's they believe in this guy so much. Yep. And now we know why everyone in the world has trust issues. Yep. The Nazis never realized they were fooled, even to the end of the war. And thus, uh, Garbo, along with a man named Eddie Chapman, another double agent, earned the distinction of being one of the few to receive decorations from both sides of World War II. It's absolutely amazing. It's amazing, right? 
Just amazing. So uh, after the Second World War, we're going to go back to calling him Juan because he's All no right. longer. Yeah. Um, yeah. No need for secrecy anymore. No. Yeah. Uh, Juan feared reprisals from surviving Nazis. That's fair. There were a lot of them. And so with the help of MI5, Juan traveled to Angola and faked oh. his death from malaria in 1949. Okay. Yep. After he faked his death, he then moved to Venezuela, where he lived in... To Rel go find his guy. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of Nazis in Venezuela. <laughs> like, there, they, yeah. yeah, that's not a good spot for him to be. No. So yeah, he lived there in relative anonymity, running a bookstore and gift shop for the rest of his life. So no chickens. No chickens. I totally thought this was going to end up back with the poultry farm. Yeah, no chickens. Uh, uh, Juan divorced. Well, he's first. a different guy, so that makes sense. Different guy. He's seen things, you know. He's a yeah. He's been to war. Well, you know? no, he hasn't. Okay, I mean, okay, yeah. He bragged Kinda. about that. Remember? He did actually. Yeah. Bought on both sides in a fire mm -hmm. single shot. Juan divorced his first wife and married Carmen Celia, with whom he had two sons, Carlos and another. Juan, but this one was named Juan Carlos. Oh my um, gosh! Yeah. Carlos and Juan, Juan Carlos. Yep. So you yell at a kid, Juan Carlos! <laughs> and like three, all three of them, like, what? Yep. No, Juan Carlos. No. Which, uh, yeah, that's a, that'd be a nightmare. And he also had a daughter, but she eventually, she unfortunately passed away at the age of 20 in 1975. Uh, by 1984, Juan had moved to his son's house, uh, his son Carlos, his house, okay. in La Trinidad, Caracas. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. In 1971, the British politician Rupert Allison, writing under the pen name Nigel West, became interested in Garbo. For several years, he interviewed former uh, various former intelligence officers, but none really, none knew Garbo's real name. Eventually, Tomas Harris's friend, Anthony Blunt, the Soviet spy who had penetrated MI5, said that he had met Garbo and that he knew him as either Juan or Jose Garcia. So, kind of got the names there, yeah. Uh-huh. Allison's uh, investigation was stalled from that point until March of 1984 when a former MI5 officer who had served in Spain supplied Juan Piol's for our full name. Allison hired a research assistant to call every Jay Garcia in an Oh my gosh. Which is an extremely common name in Spain. Uh, oh my in, gosh. In the Barcelona phone book, eventually contacting Juan's nephew. Juan and Allison finally had a meeting in New Orleans in night er, in in May of 1984. Wow. Yeah. At Alisson's urging, Juan traveled back to London and was received by Prince Philip at Buckingham Palace in an unusually long audience. After that, he visited the Special Forces Club and was reunited with a group of former colleagues, in, uh, including uh, his first handler that kind of dropped, you know, yeah. after, but gave him his cool, his cooler mm -hmm. nickname. The Garbo. Yeah, yeah, the Garbo name. On the 40th anniversary of D-Day in June of 1984, Juan traveled to Normandy to tour the beaches and pay his respects to the dead. Juan unfortunately died in Caracas later that year and is buried in Chironi, a town inside uh, a national park by the Caribbean Sea. Wow. And that is the life of Juan Puel Garcia, one of the few men to win awards from both Germans and British intelligence in it's World nuts. War II. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. That's great. They don't make them like they used to, man. Like, come on, who does that? Who, are who you lives kidding? this life? There are so many crazy farmers out there who would absolutely be like, sure, I'll do this. I'm just like, you don't hear about it anyway. But also well, we're not in we're not in World Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm glad we're not hearing about this sort of stuff. That's true, like, yeah. That's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. So there was a movie, I guess, in 2009 called Garbo, uh, The Spot. Okay. It, it's, it's more of a documentary than a movie, but yeah, here's, uh, here's a picture. Um, okay. Yeah, it's really reflective, but there he is with some sunglasses on. Ooh, fancy. Oh, man. Yeah. He looks like a spy. He, I mean, he looks almost like some sort of, like, hipster-looking dude. Uh, yeah, he'd be at a coffee shop reading, like, Karl Marx or something. 
drinking. There you uh, go. Yeah. Somebody hates socialism. Yeah. But yeah, that's uh, that's our story. Yeah, I have nothing. I have nothing to add. Sorry, I took. Sorry, I took it from you. No, you're not. No, I'm not. You're not at all. I'm very pleased with myself. I'm not upset about it. Like I, I, I'm glad I got to learn it this way. So what didn't you know? Like you said, you knew some of that. Well, I knew. I didn't know any particulars. I knew that he was decorated by both Germany and England at, for spycraft during the war. That's it. Okay, that's all you knew? Cool. I knew literally headline. Got it. I'm glad we could expand uh, that uh, upon that knowledge, my friend. Oh, very much so. It's, yeah. That was great. That was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. So, uh, listeners, email us. We have all the email addresses. Just all pick the, one. Just pick one and send an email. I don't email even care us. anymore. Tell us what do you think, Space Camp or Spy Camp? Like I'm not. Yeah, that's that's a great question. Mm-hmm. Space Camp, Spy Camp, and uh, I know we always ask for it, and no one does it. So, you know, sound really I'm defeated. Just, I'm just, you know, I don't even know why we continue on. That's kind of <laughs> where I'm at. I uh, I'm just gonna mm-hmm. go start a chicken farm. So then you really, then you really have no friends. <laughs> okay, jeez. Well, yeah, we'll talk at you next time. Hope your ears are blessed. Bye. <laughs>